0: Have your Bibles then, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We continue our study this morning in 1 John chapter 2. And I hope you've been blessed as we've been studying um, through this letter, through this epistle that the Apostle John has uh, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you, just a brief summary for those of you who may be visiting or that are here for the first time. The objective of the Apostle John's epistle is to make true Christians assured of their salvation. It's not to make us doubt, okay? And I I hope you don't leave here doubting your salvation, but I hope that you are assured. And I hope that you are knowing for sure whether you are a believer or not. Um, The whole purpose of this letter is found in chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So the epistle is written so we can know. He says it clearly there, not so that we would doubt. And all we have to do is read what it says and take a test that he gives us many different tests To help us know for sure if we have eternal life. And in chapter 2, verse 3 and 6, John applies the first test. And we've looked at that already. And this is the authentic... And the test is that authentic faith obeys God's commandments. If we have true faith, we will obey the scriptures. We saw in verse 7 to 11, the second test. That true authentic faith loves God... And loves God's people. If we're not loving God, if we're not loving God's people, there's a problem. And then we saw last week, he pauses in verse 12 to 14 to give us an, a clarification. Just to make sure that we don't misunderstand what he's saying. So that we would understand what assurance is. And then today, in verse 15 to 17, he resumes this application of these tests by showing us that true saving faith is not worldly true saving faith is not worldly and he tells us that we must choose who we love we cannot love the world as well as loving the father it has to be one or another you either love the world or love the father but nothing but not both of them So today, the title of my message is The Love That God Hates. The Love That God Hates. So if you would follow with me, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 17, although we'll be looking at verse 15 to 17 from our text this morning. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Whoever says he abides in him or to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. In verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning and we pray for wisdom. You've told us, Lord, where we lack wisdom. We need to ask. And this morning, Lord, we're asking. Lord, we pray that you would help us understand the scriptures, that you would help us to understand your words to us this morning. We pray that the Spirit of God, Lord, would open our eyes, He would open our our hearts to the truth that, that is here. And Father, that we would examine ourselves not with the things of the world, but we would examine ourselves with your standard this morning that you have set for us here in the pages of Scripture. So we pray, Lord, for your help this morning. May none of the words that I preach fall to the ground this morning. But may your word effectively help us, Lord, this morning to submit to you, the king and the ruler who deserves all the praise and glory this morning. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may have noticed from the passage this morning that John is dealing with worldliness. The subject here is worldliness. And sadly, in our day and age, this word worldliness has been defined in In many different ways. One well-known, in fact very well-known pastor in Texas, he says this about his church. He says, we're all about building people up. We're all about helping people reach their full potential. We don't push some kind of religion. All we push is joy and peace and victory through Jesus Christ. Our message every single week is through faith in God, you can live an overcoming life of victory. Now that sounds good initially, but some sermon titles, let me, let me, let me tell you what he's named some of his sermons. He's, one sermon is called Holding On To Your Dreams. Another sermon is entitled Financial Prosperity. Another sermon is titled developing miracle-working faith, developing your potential. And in other words, he's, he's really telling us that we need to embrace the world. That's what he is really propagating, how we can embrace the world. Another very popular female speaker who travels and writes and speaks all around the world, she wrote a a famous book which he titled Prepare to Prosper Moving from the Land of Lack to the Land of Plenty Another popular minister claims that the Lord spoke to him in a vision with these words If you will learn to follow that inward witness I will make you rich I will guide you in all affairs of life and later on he claimed that Jesus told him to claim whatever you want, claim whatever you want, and it will be yours. Now, that's what a lot of the, the world would teach us. And sadly, it's been coming into the churches, influencing and affecting the way that the, the church thinks about the world and how we are to live in this world. And what are we called to, to do as a church? How are, we to call, how are we called to live in this world That we live as believers. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So, how does this practically look? Remember that as John is writing this letter, he's writing to a group or a group of churches. And he's an older man at this point. And he's writing to his his spiritual children. And he calls them little children. And he wants them, obviously, to enjoy. He wants him to enjoy the, the life that they're living. He wants him to experience joy. He wants their joy to be complete. But he wants him to live in faith. He doesn't want them to be loving the things of the world. He wants them to build them up in their faith. He wants to warn them against these antichrists, these false teachers that even at this early stage of the church were, were teaching a false doctrine. They were teaching lies to the people in the church, much like the, the lies we, we were exposed to there earlier on. And there were many in the church who claimed to be Christians, but yet they denied the true teachings of Jesus Christ. They even denied Jesus Christ. And they denied their sinful condition. They didn't live lives of obedience to the Word of God or to Christ. They had no love for the the brothers, for the saints. They had no love for God. And here in this case, they demonstrated a love for the world, for the things of the world. And here in our text this morning is another test that John gives us. How we can know for sure whether we are truly in the faith, whether we are truly Christians. And in verse 15... The test is laid out. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So here is a clear distinction that he makes. Somebody who loves the world is not a believer. He doesn't possess the love of God. This is really a, an extension of the discussion that we had last week about love that we saw in verse 7 to verse Eleven. What do we love the most? What are the things that we pursue? So my first point this morning is in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. So we see in verse 15 that this text begins with a command. There's one command. There's one imperative here. It's the only command in the text. And this is the main point. And it says very clearly, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now let's break that out a bit. Do not love is a present imperative for those who love their grammar. Okay, It's a present imperative. And it means, it indicates that this is a, an ongoing battle. This is an ongoing um, struggle. Love is the Greek word agape. Are you familiar with that word? And that also indicates that, um, that this is a commitment. It's not just a feeling. This is a commitment that John is commanding right here. And the only way that we can fight the love of the world is to maintain and grow in our love for the Father. That's the only way that we will overcome this. Everything else in the text is really a motivation. It's an incentive that he, he gives to us. For why we should not love the world. And the first incentive John gives is in the the, the rest of the verse in verse fifteen B if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. And that leads to my second point. And the second point is simply love for the world pushes out the love for the Father. The love for the world pushes out our love for the Father. In other words the reason you shouldn't love the world is that you can't love the world and God at the same time. It's impossible. So love for the world pushes out a love for God and love for God pushes out a love for the world. As Jesus said in Matthew 6:24, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we can't love the world because the world would put you in the class with those who hate God and those who love other things. Whether you you like to believe it or not, you cannot mix this this love. You You cannot divide your devotion. If one loves the world... Love for the Father is not in Him. Your devotion will be divided. God is a jealous God. And that's the first reason John gives us. is not to love the world. And then in verse 16 comes the, the explanation for this argument. And the reason love for the world pushes out love for the Father is that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Now you leave out those three phrases there. You you, you try and separate those in in verse 16, and it would read like this. The reason love for the world excludes love for God is that all that is in the world is not of God. In other words, it's just empty talk. It's just empty talk to say that you love God if you love what is not of God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he tells us, don't love the world. God sets himself against those who love the world. Don't love the world. But now, what is this world here, That this word world that we are not to love? That's important that we understand it. And the New Testament at times refers to the world as the earth. It refers to it as this universe, the created order. In Matthew 16, 26, the scriptures say, For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world? So this is the whole universe. This is the whole created order. If he gains this and he forfeits his soul, what does it matter? And secondly, the word... World can mean the inhabited earth, the actual earth where we, where we live, the, the humans that inhabit the earth. John 3.16, we, we have the word world used again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It can also mean this age. It can also mean this time period. Uh, that has a beginning and it has an end. Again, in Matthew thirteen twenty-two, it's used in a different way. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world. This is the age. And the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this is a time period in that, in, in that passage. But fourthly, the world as it's used in, in this passage, as John uses it, In this verse, it means evil men over against God. It means this evil world system. And the total life, the total sum of human life, of of human culture, the ordered world as we know it, is hostile to God because of the influence of Satan, who is the prince of darkness. So John uses the word to refer to the evil, organized system that is under Satan. This is the world that we are not to love. Of course, there's nothing wrong with loving the flowers, loving the animals that God has placed here for us to enjoy, loving each other as we are supposed to. But there is a love that God hates, and He wants us to be careful of this. He wants us to make sure that we're not loving the things that he hates. And he writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And Jesus spoke of the world hating both him and those who follow him. And this is this evil world system that, that he's talking about, that he's warning us about. And John spoke of the world hating us in John 15, verse 18 to 19. He talks about it as well. And this, this evil world system operates on the basis of ungodly thoughts, ungodly attitudes, ungodly motives, different values, wicked goals, ambitions. So this is the world that John is talking of. And this world does not seek... To promote God's glory. This world and this, these values and this system. That Satan is in control of. Wants nothing to do with God's glory. They do not want to submit to the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ. And it's in this sense that, that we must not love the world. One cannot profess to be a Christian. If we are Continually, habitually, time after time, investing our time and attention and our efforts and our resources into the things of the world that are against God, that are hostile to Christ, and that are hostile to the gospel. This is something that is black and white. Again, John is making it clear for us to understand. This is not a gray area. Verse 16, he says that the world is characterized by three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the word for life does not refer to the state of being alive, that's not what he's saying, but rather to, to the things in the world that make life possible. For example, in chapter 3 verse 17, it is translated as goods. Look, look there if you would with me. In verse 17, anyone who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Again, Jesus uses that same word in Mark 12, verse 44, when he says that the poor widow in the temple put in everything that she had, her whole living, her whole living. So the phrase pride of life means pride in what we possess. We are prideful about the things that we own, the things that we have. Now we can see how the three descriptions of this world world, Relate to each other. And the first two, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, refer to the desires that we don't have. The desires that we don't have. And the third one, the the pride of life, refers to the pride in the things that we do have. Pride in the possessions that we already own. So you can see how they relate here. And the world is driven by these two things. Very powerful forces. A passion for pleasure and a pride in our possessions. A passion for pleasure and a pride in our possessions. And the passion for pleasure is described in two ways. Because there are two large classes of of pleasure... The one is physical, and the other one is is visual, how it looks, the aesthetics. And there is the lust of the the flesh, the the bodily pleasures. And of course, the the lust of the eyes and uh, the intellectual pleasures that, that we enjoy as well. So anything in this world that is not God can rob our hearts of the love of God. And we looked at this while we were studying the, the Ten Commandments, anything that we love more than God is an idol. And I asked you during that study, what is your number two? We all might say, number one is God. We might say that quickly. We love God more than anything else. But what is that number two in your life that you, that you love, that you desire, that you have a passion for? That is the threat that John is talking about. This number two, this number three, this is the threat. This is the threat to our devotion to God. And we cannot love both the world and God. We cannot divide our devotion. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Anything that is not God can draw our hearts away, especially if we don't have it. And that's called covetousness. That's simply called covetousness. These things can fill your heart with a passion to get it. We want it. We have a passion. We have a desire. And it can consume you that you want these things. It can fill you with pride. And if you do have it, it can can make you more prideful. We were talking about this this week with my children. And I said to them, you know, I'm not against you guys getting rich. Okay, I said to them, you don't have to be poor, living as poor people for the rest of your life. That's not what the scriptures are saying. I'm not against anybody being rich. But I am against my children being covetous. There's a difference. There's a difference. Should God choose to make you rich, it would be so that you could be a good steward of these resources And use them for his glory. It's not so that you can use them for your own passions and consume them upon your own lusts. That's not why God gives us these blessings. And there's a difference here. This is the heart issue that John is dealing with. There's a heart issue here. You know, what passion fills your hearts this morning? What is your number two? Do you have passion for things? Or do you have a passion for God? How much time do you spend on these passions? And how much time do you spend pursuing God? Think about that this morning. As I said earlier on, worldliness is primarily an attitude. It's an attitude. You can live in a cave and still be worldly. Just because you, you don't live in a house that has a that has running water and and has all these facilities, you can still be a worldly person. You can still be desiring after these things and being greedy in your in your heart. It's a it's an attitude that is motivated by wrong desires. And, and, and wrongful promotion of these things and promotion of yourself. A poor man who does not have many possessions may be very worldly because he desires those things as the key to happiness. And of course, the opposite is true. A wealthy man may not be worldly in that he uses his possessions as a steward of God and as a means of promoting God's purposes and God's glory. So to be worldly is to operate on the same principles as unregenerate people. It is to think and to act out of selfishness, out of greed, through pride and personal ambition. To be worldly is to have a selfish desire for the things that you do not have and a a sinful pride in the things that you do have. This is worldliness. And at its core... Worldliness at its core is a matter of the heart. If your heart is captured by the world, you will love the things of the world. If your heart is captured by the love of God, you will be drawn to Him and to the things of God. But against the pride of life, the apostle says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though it were not a gift? He says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So let there be no boasting in possessions. Our possessions can turn into gods. They can turn into idols that we devote ourselves to and worship. We need to be careful of that. God, our heart's against it. And against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the, the psalmist wrote, Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides thee. Can you say that this morning? Is there nothing in earth that you desire besides God? Is that true? Or are you pursuing other things that have nothing to do with God? And John could have rested his case right here at the end of verse 16. He could have finished his case. Don't love the world because the love for the world can't coexist with God. But he doesn't rest his case here. He adds two more arguments. Two more incentives not to love the world. And that leads to my third point. The world is passing away and its lusts. Look at verse 17. In verse A he says, The world is passing away along with its desires. Of course, nobody buys stock in a company that is going to become bankrupt. and Nobody sets up a a house in a, a a, a sinking ship. No reasonable person would lay up treasures where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. They wouldn't do that. The world is passing away. And to set our hearts on it is only asking for heartache. It's only asking for for misery. Because that's what will happen with these things that we are pursuing. They will rust. They will decay. And that's not all. Not only is the world passing away, it says, but also the lusts of the world are passing away. If you share the desires of the world you will pass away. You will not only lose your treasure, you will lose your life. If you love the world, it will pass away and it will take you with it. The world passes away and the lust of it. My fourth point, if you do the will of the Father, you will live forever. If you do the will of the Father, you will live forever. Look at the second part of verse 17. John says, But he who does the will of God abides forever. So here we're looking at the opposite. The opposite of loving the world is not only loving the Father, but also obeying the Father. Doing the will of the Father, abiding in him. The will of God here does not refer to following his direction in your life, it refers to obeying his commandments. We see that in the context here. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said in John 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So if you love the world or the things in the world, you will lose them. You will lose them all when you die. And we will all die. All that the worldly person lives for is gone in an instant. It means nothing in light of eternity. Even if you have attained all the worldly desires that you have set your heart upon, you will lose them. And what good are they to you at death? I read about a man who wrote in his will that he wanted to be buried on his Harley-Davidson. He wanted a a grave big enough for them to lower the Harley-Davidson into the ground so that he could sit upon it and he could stay on that Harley-Davidson for the rest of eternity. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter how creative you are. It will turn into rust. And John is saying in verse 17, If you love the world, you will perish with the world. But if you don't love the world, but love God, you will do His will and will live with Him forever. Now I've visited many hospitals in various countries to go and pray with different people. It's not always a pleasant experience. But last year was probably my worst experience when I went to visit my 14-year-old niece in the oncology ward who was Receiving chemotherapy. And Kerry and I walked into the, the children's hospital, and straight away we were told by the nurse to sterilize our hands with disinfectant. and We were then given these face masks which we had to wear to prevent any of our germs from infecting any of the, the children. And as we walked through the ward, we saw these young children hooked up to these IVs with, with different bags of of fluid and medicine and, and blood that was being pumped into their, their bodies. And of course, most of them had lost their hair. These little children had lost their hair because of the treatment, this chemotherapy that they were receiving. It was a very disturbing sight. And in that moment, in that in that difficult moment, what kept coming to my mind, what kept coming into my thoughts was. What is really important in this life? What really matters? What do I have an appetite for? What do I desire most in this world? What do, you, do I look at the most? And, and how do I look at it? And where do I find my security? Where do I find my joy? And do I love the things that are, are hurting other people? And do I have an appetite for the things that are are destroying me? Do I love the world? Is the world really that important? The world is passing away. The world is passing away. This is a perishable tent that we live in. And no matter what we do, no matter how much we invest in this perishable tent, it will decay at some point. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. In summary then, let me draw some conclusions here, drawn drawn some application. The text contains one commandment, three arguments, three incentives. And here's the application. Love for God and love for the world cannot coexist. According to verse 15 in our text, If your love for God is cool this morning, it's because love for the world has begun to take over your heart. And it's starting to choke your love for God. The love of the world and the love of the Father cannot coexist. It's like oil and water. It's important to notice that the Scripture directs its commandments to our hearts, to our affections. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, that the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Jonathan Edwards, one of the most famous American Christians who was a pastor, he was a missionary, he was an author, and he was also the, the dean of Princeton University at one point. He wrote this book called Treaties on Religious Affections. And here's a quote. He said, True religion, in great part, consists in holy affections. True religion, in great part, consists in holy affections. If your heart is cold, if your heart is lukewarm toward the Father, and it is captivated by the glitz and the glamour of this world, you need to ask yourself a very important question this morning Do I belong to God or do I belong to the world? Where is my heart? Where are my affections this morning? And John's command here in in verse 15 challenges us. Choose your poison. Choose who you are going to love. Either you love the world or you love the Father. You cannot love both. You cannot sit on the fence. God is our creator, he says, who deserves and demands our total allegiance. Loving the Father begins at the cross. You cannot love the Father unless you have embraced Jesus Christ. Unless you have submitted to Him as the only way to the Father. Unless you have embraced the gift of the gospel as Jesus as your substitute for your sins. Unless you have cried out to God for repentance, cried out to Him, you have not embraced Jesus Christ. And every heart loves something, doesn't it? Every heart loves something. The very essence of our, of our nature is desire. And there is nobody in this room who doesn't want something. At the center of our heart is a craving, is a desire, is a want, is a, is a need. And if you try to satisfy your, your longing by, by sucking in the air of this world... You will not be able to, to drink the, the water of heaven. And eventually your motor will burn up. Because we, are, we were all made to, to pump this water of God. Not the air that is in this world. Is your heart cool this morning? And I want to conclude with a few questions. That you need to ask yourselves to help evaluate whether you love the world or whether you love the Father. And I got these questions from A.W. Pinker, a Bible expositor, from his commentary on, on 1 John. And here are six questions which you can write down and pray about. But we need to answer these questions this morning. And the first question is, which do you seek with more fervor? The wealth and honors of the world, or the riches of grace and the approval of God? Which do you seek with more fervor, the wealth and honors of the world, or the riches of grace and the approval of God? Second question, which have the greater attraction, the pleasures of the world, which are only for a season, or those pleasures at God's right hand, which are for eternity? Third question, where does your confidence lie in the money you have in the bank or in the living and faithful God who promises to supply all your needs? Where does your confidence lie this morning? Fourth question, which causes the deeper sorrow? A temporal loss or a break in your fellowship with God? Which causes the deeper sorrow? Question five, upon which do you get more joy? Spending money for personal comforts and luxuries or spending money to further the gospel? Where do you get more joy this morning? Last question, what most dominates your mind? What most dominates your thoughts and schemes after worldly advancements? Or resolutions and efforts to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord? What dominates your mind this morning? Six questions there. And I'll leave those questions with the home group leaders that you can again examine this week. What dominates your heart this morning? We cannot divide our devotion between the things of the world and the things of God. And I've been careful not to be too specific this morning because I don't want to give you a set of rules that you think you have to follow to honor God. This morning, examine your hearts. This is, a, this is a heart attitude that the Apostle John wants us to look at. Worldliness is a heart attitude. We don't have to be poor to be worldly. We don't have to be rich to be worldly. This is a heart attitude that we need to examine this morning. And some of of you need to make a basic choice. Will you love the Father or will you love the world? It's all that John is asking. Most of us have made that choice. But we need to maintain it. We need to protect this love relationship that we have with God so that the world doesn't distract us from what is most important. Do not yield to the temptations of the world, but do the will of God and you will abide forever.